Fred Ricciani of the Sports Courier Podcast. If you're a baseball fan, especially a Yankees fan, you're in for a treat. We have right here on the line author Jim Griffin of the book, The New York Yankees All-Time All-Stars, The Best Players at Each Position for the Bronx Bombers. And, well, Jim, he had the unenviable and fun position of ranking some of the best Yankees of all time. And we're going to talk to him here today on the TSC Podcast. Jim, how's it going? It's going good, Fred. Thanks for having me. How's it feel to uh, be the author of this book? I mean, I'd, I'd imagine it was a huge undertaking. Yeah, it's definitely surreal. Uh, I'm kind of pinching myself every day with this book. But um, I actually just recently got a box of my free books in the mail, and uh, that's when it really became real. Now I can touch and feel the book, and it's, uh, it's a pretty awesome feeling. Now, I'd venture to guess that this is probably not a grand assumption. You grew up a New York Yankees fan? I did. And um, I actually should be a Mets fan because I was born in Flushing in New York, um, about two miles from Shea Stadium. But as I like to tell people, my dad raised me right, so I'm a Yankee <laughs> fan. <laughs> what was your earliest Yankees memory? Earliest Yankees memory? Wow. Um, there's so many, but the earliest is probably watching the Yankees on WPIX in the mid-80s. And I remember Willie Randolph was my absolute favorite player. I remember loved watching him play when I was a real little kid, and then quickly it turned to Don Mattingly. But I think the earliest memories are Willie Randolph listening to Phil Rizzuto on WPIX, probably 1985, something like that. Is it hard to believe it's already been a decade since the Yankees won the World Series? I mean, we're so used to in this New York area of the Yankees always winning or always being in the mix, and they've had a good team and everything. But, I mean, time does really fly. Yeah. Well, the thing is, unfortunately, it's a pretty familiar feeling for me because growing up in the 80s, uh, I didn't see him win a World Series until I was about 13 years old. So this is not the longest drought that I've experienced with the Yankees not winning a World Series. But to your point, it is very strange, especially considering the, the great run they went on in the late nineties. And then we had a little drought there till 2009. And now to think that's 10 years ago, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy, but you know what? They have the best record in baseball right now. And let's keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> so would you say that the Yankees right now are the safest bet in New York to bring home a championship? Because the giants are uh, a little bit of a mess with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning, the Knicks are, well, the Knicks and the Nets, who the hell knows, depending on when KD gets back. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, it's not even a little bit of a close race. Although I have no idea how the New York Liberty are doing in the WNBA, but <laughs> yeah, I'd say the Yankees are the uh, the lead horse right now. For sure. Now, you've been blogging about the Yankees for a number of years, wrote for a number of different online publications and everything. But what's interesting here, I was, I was trying to do some research on you. It's not a lot of background info on you, but I was able to find some. And from what I understand, you hold degrees in mathematical science and applied statistics from Villanova University, which, of course, qualifies you completely to cover baseball. So how, how did you go from mathematical sciences and applied statistics to baseball and now authoring a book about the Yankees? Well, baseball and numbers, they're, uh, it's always been a very close relationship there, even going back 100 years plus. You know, batting average has been you know, a part of the game since it started you know, over 100 years ago. Um, and I think as we've gone over time, starting with Bill James back in the late seventies, early eighties, when he really started to bring analytics to the game, um, it's been a booming industry the last 10 to 15 years with, um, 
the amount of teams that have entire divisions just to, dedicated to analytics. Um, so I think it's been a really cool thing that I've been able to take all the, the coursework I've done in my school career and kind of apply it to baseball. And uh, when I got my master's degree at Villanova, I actually did my thesis on Yankees offensive statistics since 1920. And that was, uh, it was a really cool thing to do. Um, and I think just the, the fact that analytics is part of the game now, um, some people see it as a bad thing. I obviously don't. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And, um, you know, given the home run revolution, especially this year, some people complain about it, but I can guarantee you in just a couple of years time, that's going to swing back the other way. Cause five years ago, uh, it was the year of the pitcher again, where nobody could score runs and now everybody's complaining that there's too many runs. So it'll swing back the other way soon enough. And when it comes to analytics, they are great for you know, determining personnel decisions and you know the futures of teams and everything. We've seen that a lot being adopted in the NBA as well. At some point too, there's also like the human element, especially for baseball. Yeah, I actually I had a really smart professor when I was at Villanova. He was uh, obviously a statistics professor, but he said that you know what we're doing here, it's as much art as it is science. You know, without without the art, there is no science, and vice versa. And I think that applies to baseball, too. And, um, you know, there's something called paralysis by analysis. And some teams might certainly get into that where they uh, they go by the by the book or what the numbers say only and don't take into account that we're dealing with, you know, human beings playing a game here. So um, I'm with you in that there could be overkill when it comes to analytics. I think it's a good solid base to base your decisions off of. But at the end of the day, you have to remember that this is this is a human game and that, you know, there is. There is a bit of an art to what we're, we're doing here. So what led you after writing about the Yankees for years and years to wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to rank the best players at every position of all time. <laughs> so uh, I wish it was like that. Uh, I actually got sought out for this um, because when I was writing for Pinstripe Alley, which is a Yankees blog on the SB Nation website, um, I had written an article in 2014, right around the All-Star break, where I basically compiled uh, an all-time team of Yank or an all-star team of all-time Yankees, should I say? And uh, about two years ago, an editor at Lions Press got in touch with me. He said he read that article and he liked it, and he said, "Would you like to expand this into a full-length manuscript?" And I said, "Of course I would." Um, so he said, "Great, I'll uh, I'll need a, a book proposal from you, and then we'll we'll take it from there and see how it goes." So I said, "Sure, I'll get it right to you." And then as soon as I hung up the phone. Uh, being that we live in the, the information age, I Googled, how do you write a book proposal? <laughs> and I put together an eight page proposal. Um, they liked it. They said, yeah, let's do this. And I said, great. And, uh, the rest is history. As they say, as the old saying goes, fake it till you make it right. <laughs> yes. I'd like to say I've made it and not faked it. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote the book, but I would imagine it, it had its challenges. Sometimes when you could deal with publishers, when you have a lot of different eyes and, and hands on, on the book, you know, things can change. Maybe it's too long, maybe it's too short. Maybe don't you add, you, you know, certain things. Uh, what were some of the challenges that you ran into that you wouldn't have run into say writing an article? So I think, um, having the constraints of a word count, um, was pretty tough for when it comes to having a full length manuscript. So when you write an article online, you know, you have a deadline, it's a pretty quick turnaround. So you're not, you're not going to sit there and think too much, more than you know a couple thousand words or so uh when you have a book you have a word count of or a word cap of let's say fifty thousand words um i'm not a very 
wordy person, I think, in general. But when it came to writing this book, I, I had way too many words to say. So I think the biggest challenge was trying to fit everything I wanted to say in this book into, you know, a 280 page manuscript, which might sound silly, but that was actually my biggest challenge. So I don't want you to spoil the book or anything. But I would imagine when you're doing all these rankings, I mean, in the 100-plus-year history of the New York Yankees, the illustrious history, there's a lot of names, and I'm sure you had to leave a few off. Are there one or two guys mm -hmm. that you can name that it pained you to leave off, but you know, due to the volume, due to the depth of Yankees' greatness over the years, you just had to? Yeah, there was a bunch. And actually, in the book, I did have a section on honorable mentions. So I really did try to cover all the guys who I, I really wanted to do a full-length profile on. I just couldn't fit them in. Um, but the two biggest that come to mind, and actually the absolute toughest decision was keeping out Tony Lazeri. He was a second baseman for the Yankees back in the twenties. He was part of murderers row. You know, there was Ruth Gehrig and there was Lazeri. He was right there with him. He was probably the third, their third best hitter. It was really tough to keep him out at second base, but, um, Second base is kind of a crowded position for the Yankees. And then aside from that was Ricky Henderson, who's first ballot Hall of Famer, all-time great. He only spent about five years with the Yankees. And in that time, it was, uh, it was during that drought I alluded to earlier in the 1980s. Um, as great a player as he was, unfortunately, they never made playoffs with him. Um, but it was really tough to keep him out. And uh, I think I, I tried to do those guys justice in the honorable mentions. But that was two, tough, two really tough calls right there. And you mentioned the, the playoffs. I noticed this is prevalent a little bit more in baseball, although you see it sometimes in football as well. Normally when somebody gets put in the Hall of Fame, they have some sort of playoff success on their side. But you see a lot in, in baseball, there are great players that maybe went to the playoffs once or twice, never made it to the World Series, never made it past the first round. They still end up in the Hall of Fame because they have great numbers, whereas in basketball, unless you're Tracy McGrady, you know that tends to be held against you. You know, Football, for the most part, unless you're Joe Thomas and a few exceptions like that, you know, same thing. Why do you think in baseball, the postseason numbers take it weigh a little bit less when it comes to Hall of Fame voting? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, the history of baseball has something to do with it. Uh, these days, it's a bit or a lot easier to get into the playoffs as a baseball player because we have now two wild card spots. There's three divisions in each league. Um, so you're talking, what, 12 teams at least that make it into the playoffs each year. Uh, whereas even as re more, as recent as, let's say, 25 years ago, um, there was only four teams making into the playoffs. And then 20 years before that, really, we had the American League, the National League, the best two teams made it to the World Series, and that was your playoffs right there. So I think the difficulty historically in baseball in a player being able to get to the playoffs, that has something to do with it. Because uh, I think it was no secret that got some a guy like Ernie Banks, let's say, Great shortstop, also a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, hit over 500 home runs. He played for the Cubs, and they never even had a chance to make the World Series during his time there. Uh, if he was playing today, maybe with a 500 record, he could have snuck into the playoffs with the Cubs and could have shown what he can do in the playoffs. But I think the fact that it's uh, it was so hard to even make it into the spotlight like that, that's what makes it um, guys that you wouldn't normally expect, you know, given the other sports, like you said, in baseball, it's a, a bit easier path to the Hall of Fame in that regard. Really good insight, man. Now I got to ask you this too: the Hall of Fame, at times in all sports, uh, particularly baseball, voting can be a little bit stingy. Some guys can be kept out. Some guys can go in sooner than than expected. Of course, we have the guys from the quote unquote steroid era still not in. The likes of you know Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, 
guys like that. A-Rod is a more recent example, although you know, who, who knows what's going to happen there. Do you think ultimately they will get in and should get in? You know what? I, I do think they will. Um, the, the way that the voting has gone, especially recently, I think the Hall of Fame has trimmed the fat a little bit, so to speak, when it comes to the voting pool. Um, they recently inst- instituted a rule where if you haven't written or covered baseball for uh, 10 years, then you don't have a vote anymore uh, as far as a BBWAA vote. Um, so I think that has kind of put a it's freshened the pool a little bit. And we have a, a younger slant as far as who is who's voting for the Hall of Fame. And I think as we get farther away from that steroid era, as we call it the Wild West era, as we get farther away from that, I think we're going to put it in, a, in its proper context. And a lot of those guys were all-time great players, even if you take away the steroids. Um, you know, Roger Clemens, before he was accused of taking steroids, he had compiled Hall of Fame numbers before he even got to Toronto. Same with Barry Bonds. Um, you know, he started, or if you believe the books written about him, he started the steroid thing after 1998 when McGuire and Sosa had the home run race. Um, his numbers up through 1998 absolutely make him a Hall of Famer. And I think it was it was kind of a widespread, uh, not just the players. It was it was a widespread failure to institute testing, to have proper testing, and actually have punishments for it. So I think the blame goes all around. And I think, given a, a little bit more time, we're going to understand that and say, hey, we we screwed up, but we should still honor these guys as great players because that's what they were. All right, I have some rapid fire random questions. You ready? Sure, fire away. Favorite Yankees moment. Favorite Yankees moment. So this will be a game that I actually attended. This was in 2000. Um, It was the American League Championship Series. And they were playing the Mariners. It was game six. And if the Yankees win this, they go to the World Series, which ended up being the Subway Series with the Mets. And I was there when uh, David Justice came up and hit a home run to the third deck in right field the Yankee Stadium. It was the loudest I've ever heard a baseball game in my life, and I happened to be standing right there. Um, on the lower level, and it was uh, it was amazing. I'll never forget that moment. It's pretty awesome. All time favorite yeah. Yankee, Don Mattingly, without without a doubt. Most underrated Yankee. Oh man, I I have three or four in the book. I'm going to give you a few: uh, Willie Randolph, Greg Nettles, Roy White, Mel Stottlemyre. Four most underrated Yankees. Okay, on the other side, most overrated Yankee. Excellent question. Um, hmm. They've had a lot of stars, but they've also had a lot of stars maybe coming at the tail end of their career or underperform. And, you know, I mean, you, you get that sometimes with the big market teams like that. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go with Roger Clemens because when he came to the Yankees, he was still on top of his game. And then with the Yankees, he was a pretty average pitcher, but it was kind of masked by the fact that they won the World Series a couple times when he was here. But in reality, his career with the Yankees was, uh, was pretty ho-hum. Who's your biggest inspiration when it comes to writing? There is an author named Elmore Leonard. He writes crime fiction. Um, so uh, why is he my favorite? Why is he my inspiration when I'm writing books about baseball? Um, <laughs> the reason being, he, uh, he's a phenomenal author. And he had a quote that I read a long time ago that said, uh, if, it, if, it, if it reads like writing, rewrite it. So I always keep that in mind when I write. I try to, to make it flow naturally and, and seem like it's, like I'm having a conversation rather than actually putting words to paper. And that's, that's really stuck with me. What do you think, as a guy that studied Yankees history, is their most impressive championship run? I know there's a lot to choose from, 
But is there one that you, when you were doing your research and looking back, uh, you say, wow, I can't believe they beat that team, that team, and that team? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to say in 2000, uh, going back to 2000, that was my favorite moment with David Justice. But that team had only won 87 games. Um, they had won the, the previous two World Series, and it seemed for sure that the run was coming to an end. And uh, they had a couple of moments in that playoff run. They should have lost in Oakland, but they didn't. They somehow hung on. Um, they should have lost to Seattle, but they didn't. They they kept coming back. And then they crushed the Mets in the World Series, even though during the regular season that team was was hurting. They, they only won those 87 games, and it seemed like I think they finished the season going 3-20 and 20 or something like that. And it was impressive to see them turn it right around in the playoffs. It was it was a testament to how great that that group was that won those World Series. And wasn't that the year too when Seattle had the best record? That was actually the next year, but okay. the Yankees did beat them in the in that uh, playoff run as well. But of course, the Yankees didn't win the World Series. But we won't we don't have to talk about that. We won't, we won't, talk, <laughs> we won't talk about that. And, and I think we'll end on a positive note here. What's the best piece of advice you give anybody looking to have a career in writing and starting to write a book? Uh, start writing and write, write everything down. Um, whatever thought you have in your head and you think it's a good idea, um, don't hesitate to put that thought down, whether it's in a word document, whether it's in a notebook, whether it's in a tape recorder, um, get all your thoughts down, get them in order and, uh, and write and write and write. And when you think you've, you've got it perfect, throw it out and write it again. Um, just keep all your thoughts documented so that you can always go back to them and never stop perfecting it. Great stuff, Jim. I really appreciate the time. Folks, the New York Yankees, all-time all-stars, the best players at each position for the Bronx Bombers. It is available to order right now. Amazon, where else can we get it, Jim? Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble. You can even go to the publisher's website, lionspress.com. You can find it all those spots. <laughs>